Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Marketing Matters Show. This is our third episode. We're excited about some of the traction that we received from our previous episodes. And for this particular video, we're going to be covering some of the questions that we received from you guys that you were interested in learning more about. Today, I am joined by Dani Alvarado, CEO of Wireshark Media and Atlix, and I am Francisco Lacayo, Chief Revenue Officer of Wireshark Media. Before jumping into the questions, how's everything going then? I'm actually doing pretty good, Frank. Thank you for asking. I am actually on my fourth coffee of the day. A lot of coffee for one day. It's actually pretty average for me. For you? Yeah, it's good. I don't know. I don't know about you know the the guys following us here, but I like to have two coffees in the morning, two coffees in the afternoon, and some Coke Zero occasionally and sparingly. So that's pretty wild. I can only do coffee. I can do one coffee in the morning. And that's it. I've seen Wait. you. I've actually tried to get you coffee I, after I, eleven. No, no, this, don't be fooled. This is actually tea. Uh, because I couldn't pull a coffee right now at this time of the day, so that's pretty good. It's great. We have a pretty cool setup today, actually. It's it's amazing to do these things in person instead of just Zoom calls. Uh, I think we all got used to the Zoom scenario in the past, but this one's pretty cool. Feels a lot more intimate and yeah, can more of an open conversation. I think it's a lot more personal. Um, we can get a little bit more, you know, close, and I think we're gonna have some really interesting bloopers for those to subscribe. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, no, that happens when you're, you know, face to face. Yeah, sure. of course but excited for this episode um like i mentioned before we've gotten a lot of traction from our previous episodes which is pretty cool we actually got more traction than i was expecting because you know a new podcast it takes some time to pick up but we've been receiving a lot of suggestions on some of the topics that agency owners wants us to cover um to have a list of questions i think some of them are going to be pretty cool in regards to some of the things that are happening right now let me start with the most popular one which is what would you say are the key trends that a marketing agency owners should know about right now that are happening in the data marketing world? I think there's too many to know, you know, I, I think we can start sure. there. Um, and one of the things that I've had to do myself is essentially just dedicate a whole, a uh, whole 30 minute block, you know, towards the end of my yeah. day, uh, to really just catch up. I have a couple of different blogs that I follow just to make sure if I can say a few that I've been personally very invested with, I think it's been AI. For the most part, there are so many things going on within the AI, the AI umbrella. I mean, you've got generation, generative AI, you got predictive AI. So a couple of different things happening there. Um, I was actually just recently in Google um, on, uh, on an event about lead generation and AI and some of the tools that they have for, for lead generation specifically. So AI, definitely a big topic here. I would say there's been also some interesting news about new social media. You have threads being released. That's a big recently. one. Did you create your profile? I here? did, of course, I did. Ah, I didn't. Yeah, I did. I feel it's, it's kind of part of the job, or at least that's how I justify it. <laughs> so, as I got to do it for work. That's good. Yeah. That's good. And I think outside of that, July first, there was a lot of screaming and pain happening across LinkedIn, yeah. at least on the people that I follow around the face out of GA and UA. Yeah. So it's all about GA for home. Yeah, that's a pretty big one, and. Since you're, you know, you're mentioning GA, maybe we can start with that one because we got a question about that, um, which is, what do you think the future of Google Analytics will be? Because what we're seeing on our end with some of our partners and some clients is that people are actually now considering jumping to third-party tools instead of relying on analytics. Um, it's not so surprising anymore. We jump to an account that we see that the goals coming from Google Analytics are not the primary goals anymore. Now we see a lot of third-party tools or direct tracking, a lot of offline conversions, um, I, I personally still have to get my grip on GA4, <laughs> so I understand why people might not be too fond of the tool yet. Are you saying you haven't jumped into it yet? 
Uh, I mean, I have some reservations. Um, I have some reservations. I feel it's pretty <laughs> limited compared to what we were used to, okay. which makes sense. You know, we know the reasoning behind the switch, um, but I understand why people are now looking at other tools. Um, what are you guys seeing on your end? I think in what I believe is, yes, there's been a lot more traction in terms of third-party analytic tools. I've seen a couple. I've actually seen a couple of partners mention some of the things that they're using today, like AnyTrack. Um, I think what converts came up the other day when I was doing some research. Um, so there's been a few that have been named around there. I think the reason why you're still going to see you, you know, in this case, GA4 kind of still remain at the top there is just because it's free. So we, you have to understand that for a lot of advertisers, they don't really want to invest in a third party tool to do that for advertisers are maybe working with an agency, perhaps if the agency has some sort of an arrangement where they can get some decent pricing on there. But for the most part, if you can get it through analytics that's often going to be the case um i can tell you that i've spent a little bit of time with it i actually put it up a a linkedin um poll the other day asking you know what were some of the things that people needed the most help on ga4 um it come I, I would say the top two things that came up there was how do i back up my old data um yeah. i think that was a, a big topic of conversation okay. which you know i'm gonna get into i'm gonna get into at some point but um essentially we want to we want to be able to create this one-time use tool within AtClix so that we can allow people that are using the free version of Universal Analytics to be to export that into Sheets. Because, and I mean, Google did give some tools so that you can export the data, but only for like their GA360 clients. So obviously like, you know- Yeah, it gets pretty expensive <laughs> to be able to it gets, do that. It gets pretty expensive. And, and there's, you know, most people are not really doing that. At least not the people that, you know, we would normally be in contact with in terms of SMB. So. Um, that was the question number one. So how do we back up the data? And then number two, I think there's still a lot of confusion in regards to some of the metrics, how some of the metrics change, like bounce rate versus engagement rate um, and a couple of things like that. Um, but I actually like it, you know? I, really? I, I do. I, I don't I don't really have an issue with it at all. I, I think I got pretty used to um, very quickly in terms of the explorations um, and how quickly you can go into the exploration, create your custom report. I, I just don't like recent views. I'm just that guy. You know, yeah. I, I don't really know. <laughs> uh, and so I, I think for the most part, I don't really see, you know, a lot of, a lot of the issues that others are seeing in regards to that. And like I said, I think the main reservations are around, well, obviously how do, how do you keep some of the old data you know, or how do we, how do we keep that? How do we get that back? But outside of that within, you know, GA4, there's not really a ton more. Oh, the other one was actually, how do you figure out views um, because if you remember with yeah. FUA, you had obviously your different views and things like that. I'm actually pretty happy about that because I've, I've seen and I've audited some like analytics accounts that had at least 20 views. Yeah. And not all of them I, were relevant. And not all of them were relevant. Yeah. And you know, I have a confession here. If you go to the white Turk media universe analytics, I've account, been there. Yeah. There is at least 10 views that have, do not use in parentheses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that just goes to show you a little bit of, you know, how sometimes we, we use that for maybe no reason in particular. So I am on the GA4 train, you know, blame me if you want. Uh, but I think, I think no. we just fine. And I think in terms of the future, you'll still see GA4 at the top there. You still see it, uh, get used quite a bit. Um, but I, I do also believe that there's a good combination or a good synergy that a lot of advertisers are going to see from doing GA4 but then also doing the individual platform tracking pixel. So like, you know, Facebook yeah. pixel, your Google ads pixel, et cetera. And I think that that's a, a common topic that we see right now in the industry because 
I mean, it's a given that we have to keep GA4. Like, I would never recommend someone not to use yeah. it, um, especially because it's free. The conversation really goes into, is the free tool going to be good enough if you want to be competitive? Because with the changes in privacy guidelines and the third-party cookie deprecation and things of the sort, we are seeing advertisers trying to have an edge, you know, and be more competitive. And that goes with what data are you collecting? How are you managing it? What are you doing with it? Um, we're seeing a big trend related to offline conversions more than ever before. You know, offline conversions have been a thing for a while. Um, before it was more of a best practice, like, hey, if you have access to your CRM and you can send the data back to Google, do it. Now it's really kind of a must. You know, most channels will tell you if you have the data, you need to use it because our algorithms and our automation is going to rely heavily on that or at least more and more in the near future. Um, and again, it all makes sense. It's the era of first-party data, exactly. Right? Yes, and and that that's kind of I think where the where the conversation is going to go is you know, analytics is going to be a good base tool for maybe the average SMB. But if you want to get competitive, I think you're probably going to have to invest in something that can give you a bit more visibility and maybe more control of the data that you have, together with a good first-party data strategy, of course. And you know how you're telling your story with the brand. How are you collecting data? Are you producing, you know, engaging content so that users want to give you their data, et cetera? So that's what we're seeing on our end. Um, I saw some of the some of the decks that you shared from the Google event. That was pretty interesting because um, one of the things that I noticed was that Google now is strongly recommending value-based bidding, even if you are a lead generation client, uh, which is interesting. It's something that before was more of an experiment. Right now, they're saying here, our algorithm and our smart bidding is ready for this, and it's actually going to improve performance if you feed this data into the process. So um, can you tell us a bit more about that and what you learned? Because it's a very interesting topic, but I feel it's fairly new to most agency owners. Um, and I think that that's going to make a big difference now, especially when we're talking about attribution and, and conversion track. I, I don't think that Google is essentially changing the narrative around Legion. I think the the narrative was instead that most people believed that there weren't enough tools for Legion, whereas you had the ability to have more tools for e-commerce mm. where you could use your, you know, app to cart to maybe track some value there. It's a lot easier on anything e retail or e-commerce related to be able to have some differentiated values across the board in your conversions. Um, so a lot of the event was focused on being able to change the narrative that Legion is restricted and gave a lot of creative ways to be able to differentiate. And again, their main point that they're trying to hit home is that in order for value-based bidding to make sense, you need to make sure that if you have three different conversion, you know, or three different people that are converting, that you have some sort of a way to say, this one was worth 100, this one's 150, and this was 200. Because if you have let's say a hundred conversions and you're using conversion value, let's just say, it. and you say, oh, well, my average conversion, let's say it's $500. My average conversion rate is, you know, 50%. So my, you know, lead is typically going to be worth $250. Let's just say that if you feed Google all the data and say all the conversions are worth the same, it's essentially at the event, what they said is, you might as well just do target CPA. Yeah. You know, if you're going to say what, this is my conversion value across the board, you might as well just say they're worth one. You know, there's really no difference. So a lot of their approach was to educate the agencies that were at the event in terms of what conversations can you have with the end advertiser in order to discuss, uncover, and understand that lead to sale cycle that they have. Um, so it was a lot of really good material share there. Like what questions can you ask? Like, for example... Um, let's say in the case of Waitrick, for instance, you know, let's take you as an example. You probably have 
um, let's say a certain conversion rate, right? So let's take that as an example. And then, so let's say you have a couple of forums and you have a call, like, so some of the questions that they have is like, okay, are you more likely to convert a phone call than a lead, you know, online? And what would your answer be? It would be a form. Yeah. And we have different forms. So I would say one specific form yeah. more than another, but a form. Yeah. And so then after that, I imagine there's some sort of like a discovery call. Right? Yeah. And so how long does it take for you to go from the form to discovery? Yeah. I mean, it should be pretty quick on an ideal scenario. So usually less than 24 hours. If it's, if it can be done immediately, it usually is. But if not, let's say 24 hours. And would you be able to say after the discovery what the conversion value is likely going to be? Or do you need another qualification call after that? No, after the discovery call, we usually have a pretty good idea of, of where the lead is going to go. Like if it's going to be a good fit and if it's likely going to close, we can usually, you know, assert the level of accuracy, know it after the first discovery call. So we could probably assign a value, yeah. Great. And at that point, would that already be some sort of an opportunity if you want to think of it within like your CRM? If after the discovery call, we feel that this is a client that could be a good fit, then yes. If it does, if it goes down, if it goes through the discovery call and then we feel it's not a good fit, we probably wouldn't assign any value to it and we would just dismiss it or, or send it somewhere else. Um, but if after the discovery call, we go in a follow-up call, an audit or a demo or something of the sort, um, then it, it's usually, you know, a valuable lead and, and it's a valuable opportunity. Yeah. Awesome. So you see this conversation, this is exactly yeah. a lot of the conversation that was during that session. It's like, what are some questions that you can ask your end client to be able to understand how many actions does it take to go from your lead entry point, which is your online conversion, all the way through your revenue generating conversion, and then find out some of the points in between so that you can determine some conversion rates. And then ideally you would want to pick the event right before the last one, typically. Yeah. And the reason for that is because the last one usually is going to take what, maybe 45 days, 30 yeah. days for a lot of legion businesses, especially those that have slightly higher values. So there's still some, let's say, number requirements in terms of trying to get at least 30 conversions every, uh, you know, I think it was 30 days. So 15 conversions every 30 days or something along those lines. Uh, so those data requirements are still there. So if you're only getting a certain number that's very low, you're not yeah. gonna be able to do that. So that's a, that's a couple of the, you know, the questions that you wanna ask. And then again, based on that, you can now map that out. That's, that's essentially the process. And once you've been able to map that out, it's time to go into the implementation phase. And so they actually had a whole session in regards to how to implement something that's not new per se, but it's often confused. So they recently announced enhanced conversions yeah. for web. And I, for example, I've asked a couple of people if they understand the difference between enhanced conversions for web and enhanced conversions for leads, which are not actually the same thing. Yeah. They sound very similar, but they're not. Um, <clears throat> So the, the event was covering specifically enhanced conversions for leads, which is a, essentially one way that a, to give you an example, going back to white shark and some practical, you know, examples with some real life stuff. When we tried to do offline conversions for white shirts campaigns a couple of years ago, it was a, a bit of a pain. Yeah. Um, it was tricky. It was, it was definitely tricky because number one, you needed to add a custom field into your CRM, which was the, you know, the, the famous GCLID. I would say six times out of 10, that GCLID wasn't really there in the form yeah. submission, even though you knew that was coming from a Google ads campaign. Yeah. And so then how do you then feed that back to Google if you can't preserve the GCLID, yeah. right? So that's, that's essentially the, the trouble part. And so what they're doing with enhanced, lead, uh, enhanced conversions for leads is you don't need to alter your CRM anymore to add that custom field. 
And instead, what you can do is you can feed back the email address. Not that Google's actually going to get the email address. Yeah. You, you, you would obviously have some sort of a step in between where you're hashing that data. But you send over the hashed email address. For those that don't know what hash means, it's essentially just scramble the email address. So protect that it, actually. Yeah, to protect the information so that Google doesn't really get the personally identifiable information. Long story short, you yeah. send that over to Google and then Google's able to match that to the form submission. Because in the form submission, you typically also ask for email address and phone number. So then if the form submission, which was the online conversion, has an email, and then that matches the hash that you send over on the offline conversion import, that's an easier match. So in, in essence, it's, it's a much simpler process because you are now matching by email address, which you're a lot more likely to have than, of course, the GCL ID, yeah. which is often not the case. And especially now with everything to do with privacy protection, with, you know, cookies. I don't know about you, but I have all of my cookies turned off. On yeah, now I do. Process. Yeah, yeah, now I do. In some cases, it, back in the day, I said, you know, let's keep them on because I also want to understand the advertising experience. Like, I like to see ads. Yeah. Click on them and see what other advertisers are doing for products that I would consume and even products that I wouldn't purchase. Yeah. I still go through and, and see what they're doing because it's, you know, it's my industry. So I like to understand what's happening. But now more and more, I'm turning cookies off to see what happens and to understand, you know, how are brands capitulating on this information? How are they getting my data if I don't allow it through the cookies? And and how the, the industry is changing. So it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's great time to be part of the industry, I think, because I think most of us are being pushed out of our comfort zone. Absolutely. And, you know, we're being asked to be more creative in regards to how we manage data and, and how we find the right information to make the funnel more valuable for customers. Um, one hot topic that, you know, it, it came across the questions that we received as well is, you know, it's getting trickier now to decide which channels you should invest your money on because attribution itself is getting tricky. Um, and, and now that you're bringing all this up, how do you think, you know, the concept of attribution or, or how likely are we to be able to accurately attribute, you know, certain conversion to a channel and use that information to make the proper decision of, hey, this channel should probably receive more budget because, you know, five, 10 years ago, you had three or four attribution models. You, you know, we all agreed that that was what we had and we agreed that those were the ones, um, you know, we would flirt with the whole assisted conversion stock and things like that. When you talk to customers, but it, that, that heard me right here in yeah. the universal analytics. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was a, a pretty straightforward conversation, but right now it's, it's not that easy. You know, it's, it, we've seen it ourselves where we, you know, our attribution might tell us one story, but then we do tests where we move budget from one place to another. And maybe we're moving it to a place where our current attribution model doesn't say that it's generating conversions and revenue. But the moment we move the budget, we see that we're generating more conversions and more revenue. So how do you feel all of this is going to impact our concept of attribution and, you know, how important attribution is going to be moving forward? And, and what would you say is going to be the main challenge for agencies with this particular scenario? I think... That's a that's essentially a, a topic that we won't be able to answer easily uh, because it's going to be depending on what channels you are doing. And with the rise of so many new channels now, not every tool is able to track everything. Um, so I think it's important that if I can give you some quick you know, suggestions, I would say number one is don't only have one source of information and try to have at least two to three so you can validate. So going back to what we discussed earlier on the GA4, you could have your GA4, which is going to have some multi-channel information so that you can determine some sort of attribution. Yeah. But you can then also go back to each individual provider and measure how they're attributing their own information. And then third, if you can have some sort of another software that is able to do that and give you the bigger picture, 
then again, you can sort of use that to cross-reference and try to find some sort of a, like if you want to do like a little bit of a Venn diagram, you know, it's like where, where, where does the information sort of match to a certain degree? Yeah. Um, and what, what does that story kind of tell you? I think that would be number one. Tip number two is to a certain degree, the, the source of truth will always be your CRM and how much money you're putting in your pocket. Really? For sure. I, I, yeah. I think there's, there's really no other way to see that. Uh, you know, again, in the example of white shirt, like if we are putting in somebody here, someone there, some money, et cetera, and we're not seeing the leads come through and therefore those leads are not actually turning into revenue. Like maybe I see some conversions and there's forms and there's this, but ultimately does that really translate into some sort of an actual, you know, uh, you know, sale. Right. So I would say have some sort of a CRM there's, and, and the great thing is that now, if you think about it, there's a lot of free CRMs out there. And even some of the major CRMs offer some sort of like a basic level at the free. So like HubSpot, for example, has like a free version um, and things like that. So having some sort of a tool where you can keep track of that data. And I only say that because it, it, it sounds unreasonable and, and, and really hard to believe. But even today, I still see cases of some SMBs that come to us. They're still using sheets yeah. to track the yeah. data. I still see, you know, people that are tracking their leads on their, on their WordPress forums. Like, you know, they, they literally go into WordPress, they log in there, they see the report, they export, yeah. and that's, that's what they get. So it's still, you know, again, a little bit shocking. And, and I understand that because not everybody is maybe as technically savvy as others. And that's perfectly fine. But if you can make sure you have a CRM, even if it's the most basic one, so you are able to kind of follow through that lead stage all the way through the conversion. And then that's going to be your source of truth that you can then ultimately try to find a way to marry into the, the rest of the other tools. So I would say th those would be the, the two main points that I would ask or that I would suggest to kind of keep in mind there, but it's still going to be a lot of hunch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And to a degree, be because there are so many different things that are changing on a privacy level that, that things are being taken away from us in terms of being able to have the down to the scent information within our tracking tools. Yeah, that's actually something that um, when I talk to the teams, you know, we, we talk about it all the time and sometimes we joke about it, but having this marketing hunch is so important nowadays when you're not going to get all the data that you need. And, you know, I, I think it's a mix of experience, a mix of how much time you invest in understanding your client's industry, uh, your, you know, the buyer persona, the market. Um, the story that you're telling, how your information is connecting with your potential customers. Should we be adding marketing hunch into the CVs? I think, I think we should, <laughs> or at least find a way to identify if, if that's there, because, and, and if obviously this can lead to a whole different conversation, but if you think of PPC strategists 10, 12 years ago, it was very techie analytical roles. And I think nowadays because we're getting so much automation and AI and tools to do a lot of the technical work, the creative part is much more important. Absolutely. hundred percent. And understanding, you know, the bigger picture of the funnels, I think it's, it's key. We, you know, one thing we see on the floor is AI and, and, and automation is just as good as the data that you feed it and the numbers you can get, you know, you can pull from a CRM if you have a CRM, but, but the, the human component and that hunch or understanding how your consumer might react and, you know, understanding that they might not be rational to me is, is a key element. So that's why I think it's, it's such a cool time to, to be part of the industry because there's so many things happening that are pushing us towards that. And I think that that's the outcome of that, that what we're seeing right now is that brands, 
you know, being more creative, it's usually better advertising, you know, and, and, and better solutions to their customers. So, um, it's exciting. And, um, and we're, we're, you know, we're adapting to the changes. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's tricky at times because it means changing the way you've been doing things for the past, maybe five or 10 years. So it's not that easy to adapt if, if, if you come from the, I'm an expert background to now I have to kind of relearn what I do. Um, but it's definitely exciting. So I think most agencies should be able to capitalize on this as long as they put, you know, the time and the effort, um, into understanding the trends and hopefully we, we can add some, some content to that conversation. So, um, so that's pretty cool. I think we have time for one more question. Um, it's one of the last ones that we got, and it's obviously a popular one, which is how do you think threats is going to impact the digital marketing landscape? I think for the most part, what we're going to see there is in my humble opinion, we're just going to see it added as another placement within the meta advertising tools. So like today, for example, if you're trying to create some ads that are targeting Instagram, you just essentially go over there, you add the checkbox and you're going to get those ads published on Instagram. So I think for the most part, that will be the easiest way that meta will probably blend that in there. And it should be pretty straightforward for them to do. I think you're not going to have to wait a whole lot before we can see that. I think they're just obviously allowing some time for those users to to jump what in. they said was that they were waiting for 1 billion users before they even consider monetizing. But I mean, that that's going to happen pretty yeah, fast. Yeah. They're like in a week. With, I mean, yeah. How many users did they get in the first five days? I, I think it was. I think they're over 150 million by now. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was extremely fast. So I definitely think it'll be, you know, less than a couple of months before you can see that being monetized and being available in terms of the targeting options. Like I said, I think the most likely scenario is you'll see it as another place within the advertising suite for Meta. Um, and what they probably will do is they'll think of just essentially some different ways to show the ads, like maybe one or two different like app formats that are specific yeah. to threads, as opposed to, you know, just the same way that they first started with the stories on Instagram, then that made its way into Facebook. But I, I think that's what you'll see as you, you'll see some sort of a way to boost some stories or some posts on there. And in terms of revolutionizing, I don't think it's going to change too much. Um, I think, like I said, it'll give advertisers just another outlet to be able to find people. I think 100% the people that are going to be on threads are going to be slightly different than the buyers that are going to be on Instagram, or at least their mindset's going to be different when they're browsing information through their, like, to give you an example, me as an individual, as a consumer, I, I'm not on threads today. I yeah. mentioned that earlier. So I, I never understood Twitter. I, I never could like fit into that model of consuming information within that. And so I, I think for sure, as long as you understand where your buyers are, what they would typically be looking for, what their typical browsing, let's say intent is going to be within each individual social network, which extends beyond just social. I mean, sorry, it extends beyond just Facebook, Instagram, and threads. It's like, it goes into like understanding how different users are going to be if they're on LinkedIn or what intent they're going to be doing when they're on TikTok. So every social media has its own intent. And as long as you can recognize that and you can create your content and fit it that way, I think that's what you're going to see coming soon. Yeah, I think that what's important to keep in mind is it's, it's one more step within the conversation of what your customers or potential customers are doing. Um, the way I see it, and, and you know, I am a Twitter user. I don't post too much, but I do consume a lot of information there. Uh, for me, Twitter is a place where you go find out what's happening and then you participate in the conversation if you want to participate. Um, so as a brand, if there is a relevant conversation that you want to be a part of, then, you know, that's the place where you want to be. 
And that's different from Instagram because Instagram, you know, it's a different place. It's a social network that was built so you could see what your friends were doing, you know, and you could see nice pictures and it was supposed to be more artistic Media. and all that. Yeah. Um, Twitter, in theory, was going to be or, or was supposed to be at the beginning a lot more conversation. And I think it is. It still is. And threats is probably going to be like that. So um, for me, the key element here is that brands should keep in mind that this is just another piece of the funnel. And if your product or your service makes sense in that particular piece of the funnel, or if you think you'll benefit from joining the conversations happening there, then it's a great product to have. It's a, it's great to have another channel. Uh, there are some concerns in regards to data censorship, which is kind of what people are also you know complaining about on Twitter. You know, you remove the censorship there, so now advertisers are scared because their ads are going to be showing next to brand safety is a big thing. Exactly to to maybe information that they don't want to. Uh, they don't want people to relate to their brand. But then you also have the other side, which is, you know, if it's going to be too limited, then the buyer persona that's going to use threats is going to be also a very specific one. So um, again, I think it's very exciting times. I think it's great to have another channel. Um, I think we're going to see it, you know, enabled for advertisers very soon. I don't think they're going to wait too long. I mean, absolutely. At the end of the day, that's, that, that, that's, that's not their model. Um, do you think the open threads just as a result of the Elon Musk purchasing Twitter, you know, and, and that situation, or do you think they have been thinking about this for like way before that? I mean, if you look at how all the companies under, <laughs> under the Zuckerberg umbrella work is they it might sound wrong, but they've just basically copied every single channel that is popular and it makes sense. So. I think this has been in the works for a while. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be surprised that the next one is trying to find a way to steal more traffic from TikTok. If they can't do it through Instagram, I wouldn't be surprised that we get something like Vine, you know, or competitor like that. So I think this was happening. This has been happening for a while, but I think the timing was very specific. You yeah, know, I course. think that's very intentional. If they were thinking of launching this in 2025, I think they said, no, we need to launch it now because right now we have a really good opportunity. So. Um, not surprising. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, they've, they've done it with Instagram and, and Snapchat. Um, with Facebook, they've done it with a lot of the features that they have and other networks. So um, as long as they provide a good environment for advertisers and for people to showcase their brand and hopefully get some customers, I think it's fair game. And again, having more options and more channels to be able to put your budget to use and get some good results, I think it's it's good. So overall, I think it's going to be a, a good project. Um, yeah, I think that that's all the time we had for today. Uh, this was fun. This is very exciting. A lot of useful information. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, no. Thank you for coming, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then coming from your office to, to this particular spot. Um, no, but this was fun. Hopefully we added some good tips and, and added value to advertisers. We're seeing these questions come up all the time. Uh, when we ask you guys for feedback, please keep the feedback coming because this helps us prepare. Um, for our next episode, we have a very cool guest. I'm not going to give any spoilers yet, but we're very excited about that one. So stay tuned to learn more about the digital marketing world. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye.